We've been talking about wisdom and we've been talking specifically about the book of Proverbs and how we can be shaped by these Proverbs so that we can live wise lives. Not wisdom like the world talks about wisdom, not street smarts, not gut feelings, not instinct, not common sense, but wisdom that comes from God. And one of those areas that we we have to navigate in our life is financial, right? Is our, our wallet and how we spend our money. So let me ask you a question. When you, t- when you think about spending your money wisely, what does that mean? When you think about financial wisdom, what is financial wisdom? When you hear that phrase, financial wisdom, what do you, what do you think of? What does that look like? What does financial wisdom look like? I think that's the next slide there. And so if I had, if I had thought about that question, if I had thought about what does financial wisdom look like, or even if I had thought about what does the book of Proverbs say about financial wisdom, I, a few things would have come to my mind, but it turns out it would have been a very one-sided view of what financial wisdom really is. Within the last year or so, I've sat down twice and just read through all the Proverbs in one day. And that's quite a, a task. I know preachers only work one day a week, so we can do that kind of thing. So, uh, but, but I sat down and read through all of the Proverbs. And there were several areas of my life that it was very humbling. This is one of those areas. There were several areas of my life where I thought I knew what wisdom looked like. Even if I realized I wasn't being wise, at least I thought I knew what wisdom looked like. You see, when, when I thought about the Proverbs and I thought about finances and I thought about financial wisdom, if you were to ask me what does financial wisdom look like, I would have said working hard, right? Hard work, that's what financial wisdom looks like. If you're lazy, then, then you're not being financially wise. If you work hard, that's financially wise. I, I would have thought about saving money, not spending everything that you get, not, not spending it, but, but putting some away for a rainy day. I would have thought that's financially wise. I, I would have thought not being frivolous and spending your money on, on things that, that are, are wasteful. That, that's financially wise. And, and those things are financially wise. And Proverbs talks a lot about those things. But there's a huge area that Proverbs talks about. In fact, probably talks more about this other area that I was missing. But but I do want to point out that those things are taught by Proverbs. Look at Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 4. It says this, a slack hand, a lazy, lazy hand, doesn't work hard, causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Or Proverbs 14 and verse 23 and all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. I mean, we can see that, right? If you're just talking a good game and you got a lot of talk, but you're not actually doing anything, it tends only to poverty. Chapter 28 and verse 19, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. You see the parallelism there, plenty of bread, Versus plenty of poverty. And, and that's all, that's all true. But you know, I, I stop and I think about so many people in the world. You know, there's a huge difference between understanding that if I'm lazy, I will become poor. There's a big difference between that thought, that if I'm lazy, I'll be poor, and assuming that if someone's poor, it's because they're lazy. Amen? 
There's a big difference between those two things. But sometimes, sometimes when we think about financial wisdom, we think that this is all there is to being financially wise. And if you work hard, then you'll have money. And if you don't work hard, then you'll be poor. And if you're poor, then it's probably because you didn't work hard. And that's not what Proverbs teaches. In fact, I was, I was watching a video this week, and, and it could have been one of a million stories. I just happened to see this video. I was just, I don't even know, I was probably on like Bible Gateway or something, and there was a link to a video, and I clicked it, and I watched this video about a, a young boy, 13 years old. His name is Kin Yong. He lives in the Sudan. And, and he's, he and his family are surviving on eating leaves, like leaves you pick off of a bush. And he said his favorite meal was leaves flavored with chicken and peanuts, but now, now they don't have any chicken or peanuts. It's just, it's just leaves. And here's a quote. I, I wanted you to hear what Kin Yong said. And, and again, this is one of millions of children all over the world, one of millions of people all over the world. He said, I used to go to school, but my mother can't pay for it anymore. She works very hard selling firewood and helping people build huts, but our crops went bad. There's a famine, or at least when this video was shot, there was a famine going on in the Sudan. And he said, my father left us months ago to look for food. Now I'm the man of the family, 13 years old. I miss my father. We used to work together around the house, making the fence around the crops every year. Now it's my job to do it. Is Kin Yong and his family, are they lazy people? Of course not. Is this the kind of financial wisdom that they need to hear? When we think about financial wisdom and we think about the people around us, both our neighbors locally and our neighbors globally, what thoughts need to go through our mind? How do we see our fellow human beings, whether they're on the streets of Dallas or on the streets of the Sudan, How do we think about other people whose lives may look very different from our own? And what I want us to understand, because I know this is what the book of Proverbs is telling us, is that your financial wisdom, yes, yes, how hard you work and what you spend your money on, those things are part of your financial wisdom. But so is how you treat and give to those who have less than you. Look at Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 21. An incredibly important lesson here. And everything we're going to say after this kind of builds on this idea. Proverbs 14 and verse 21. Whoever despises his, what does it say? His what? Neighbor. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner. But blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Now, now, do you see the parallelism? This is the way that Hebrew poetry works, is that we learn some valuable things by looking at the parallels. So do you see what the parallel to poor is? Neighbor, right? It, it doesn't say whoever despises the poor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Instead, replacing poor in the first part of that passage with neighbor then it teaches you something, doesn't it? It teaches you something about who the poor are. And the poor are your neighbor. The poor are your neighbor. And what does the law, what did the law say to the Israelites about their 
neighbor, to love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And when you see someone who is poor, that person is your neighbor. And if you despise your neighbor, then you are a sinner. But you're, you're blessed. You are a blessed person if you are generous to the poor because the poor are your neighbors. Now, there's all kinds of different ways of thinking about poor people. And a secular person or a Christian who isn't thinking rightly, who isn't thinking wisely about the poor, might give to the poor, might be generous, might be charitable, might be benevolent, might be altruistic. But in how they look at that person, it says a lot about whether or not they or or you or me are being wise. See, the wisdom of God teaches us that that poor person is our neighbor, not that we are better than them or that you are better than them because you have more money than them. See, sometimes charity can, can feel condescending, can't it? Sometimes charity can feel like somebody is up there and reaches down and gives to you and says, oh, I have all of this and you don't have, so I'm going to give this to you. And sometimes even the altruistic, benevolent, charitable person can feel that way, like they take pity on. They look down from their seat high above and shower down blessings on all those people down there. See, but that's not how the wisdom of God teaches us to look at other people. Whether they have more than you or they have less than you, whether they're hurting or they're healthy, whether they're rich or they're poor, whether they're royalty or they're common, they are your, what church? Neighbor. And God tells you, to love your neighbor as yourself. And do you see the difference between those two ways? Again, you might, in both cases, might be charitable to someone, but it's a totally different kind of charity. One person shares with someone else because they feel superior to them. One person shares with somebody else because they take pity on someone else. One person shares with someone because they feel like Maybe, you know, they feel a little bit guilty. They have so much and this person has so little. Another person shares because they say, we're in this together. We're neighbors. You are my neighbor. And what if we learn to look at everyone that way? What if we learn to go to the grocery store and see people and recognize that is my neighbor? What if we were to go downtown Dallas and see people on the street and recognize that is my neighbor? What if we were to hear stories about what's going on overseas, around the world, in South America, in in Africa, in Asia, wherever it may be, and we were to look at those people on the news and recognize those are my neighbors. We're in this together. And my God, the God who is 
helping me to become wise, wants me to love them like I love myself. Not to take pity on them, not to act like I'm up here and they're down there, me shower down or or me try to be their savior, but to look at them and say, you're my neighbor and I love you and we're in this, we're in this together. Look at chapter 14 and verse 31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his, what church? His maker. But he who is generous to the needy honors him. Him who? The maker. God. When you oppress a poor man, when you take part in oppressing a poor person, it's not just an insult to that person. It's an insult to that person's God. That person's maker. That person's creator. That's why you and he or you and she are neighbors. Because you have a common Creator. And when you take part in oppressing them or ignoring them, allowing them to be oppressed, then you not just insult them, you insult their maker. But when you're generous to them, when you're generous to your neighbor, whoever your neighbor may be, whatever their need may be, whatever their pain may be, whatever their hurt may be, when you're generous to them and you love them and you serve them, then you not just honor them, you honor their maker, their creator. You see, because the wisdom of God teaches us that every human being, every human being is an image bearer of God. Every human being is an image bearer of God. You see, when, when the Hebrew people would think about an image, an image, that idea of an image, they might think about an idol, right? So a piece of wood or stone or metal, and that was the image of that God, a representation of that God. If you were to spit on that image, we might think about a flag in a similar type of a way, right? And if you were to spit on a country's flag or you were to stomp on it on the ground or you were to just throw it in an old box and say, I don't care about that thing, that you not only, you not only insult that, that piece of material, but, but to the one who loves that which it represents, you insult that which it represents. See, the wisdom of God teaches us that every human being represents their maker. And when you insult and oppress and ignore and allow people to suffer right under our noses and we just shrug our shoulders, then the text says that we insult the one they represent. We insult their maker. But on the other hand, when we are generous to our neighbor, we honor our maker, we honor their maker, we honor the one they represent. See, our religion, our religion is unlike other religions. You know that? That's what James says, right? He says our religion that's pure and undefiled is to take care of widows and orphans, to keep ourselves unstained from the world. See, what we're doing here is learning our religion. <laughs> what we do tomorrow and the next day and the next day is practice our religion. Amen? What we're doing right now is being reminded of our religion. 
of who we are and what it is that we're supposed to be doing in the world. And on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, we go out and we practice our religion. We honor our God by being generous to the people around us because they are his image bearers. Now, again, there's all kinds of reasons, motivations that you can have to be generous to people. You can be generous because you feel guilty. You can be generous because you think that that's your, that's your obligation when you have lots of money. You can be generous because you pity people. Or you can be generous because you have wisdom from above that says that person is my neighbor and we have a shared creator. And when I honor that person, when I'm generous to that person, I honor God. Look at chapter 19 and verse 17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Did you see that? That when you're generous to the poor, it's like lending to God. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, have you ever failed to be generous? I have. I failed to be generous. Lots of times. And usually... My failure to be as generous as I ought to be comes from fear. I don't know what they'll do with it. I don't know that I'll have enough. I don't know if I'll get to do that fun thing with my family if I give to them. and I'm not going to have enough for us. And if I do this, and it's fear, isn't it? And that's usually what keeps us from doing any good thing, at least it is for me, is fear. You see, but what dispels fear? Faith. Faith is that which dispels fear. And that's what we're doing when we're giving to people, when we're generous to the people that we need to be generous to. We're lending to the Lord. We're saying, I trust you, God, that you're going to make all of this right, that you're going to take care of me. I trust you. And because I trust you, I'm going to be generous to my neighbor. See, generosity is evidence of spiritual wisdom. Generosity is evidence of trust in God. Do we trust God? See, I I don't know what's going to happen to financial markets. I don't know what's going to happen to the stock market. I don't know what's going to happen to banking. I don't know what's going to happen to interest rates. I don't understand half of that stuff. I was having a conversation with a guy yesterday. He was talking about trading currency. I had no idea what the guy, I smiled and nodded, you know, but I didn't know what he was talking about. But this I know, this I know, that God can be trusted and that our generosity is evidence of our trust in God. When we're generous to the poor, we lend to the Lord. Look at chapter 21 and verse 13. Proverbs 21, 13. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. So just as generosity is evidence of trust in God, spiritual wisdom, and right priorities, A lack of generosity is the same thing. I mean, Jesus Jesus talked about this principle right here when he talked about the rich man and Lazarus. Do you remember that story? And he talked about how there was this rich guy and there was this guy at his gate and he wanted just to eat the crumbs from the rich man's table and yet he had nothing and they both died. And in the afterlife, 
Lazarus is in the bosom of Abraham, well supplied and cared for and taken care of, and the rich man has nothing, not even a drop of water to cool his tongue, and he cries out, and there's no one to answer. Why? Why? Why does Jesus tell us that story? So that you'll know what the afterlife is like? No. So that you'll take care of the poor man at your gate. That's why. He's illustrating this principle right here. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. The rich man says, let me go, let me go warn my brothers that they ought to take care of the people at their gate. And, and Abraham says, no, listen. They have Moses and they have the prophets. If they won't listen to them, they won't even listen if somebody rises from the dead. Are we listening? Not, not, just to, not just to the wisdom of God, but are we listening to the people around us? Maybe, maybe it's not. Maybe the people around you that are crying out, maybe it's not just financial. Maybe it's emotional need and want and poverty. And you have the ability to be friends with people and love people and help people and encourage people. Church, listen, this this is how we practice our religion, is we love our neighbor as ourselves. And if we close our ears and we say, listen, I got a lot of things to, to do. You know, I got a Netflix queue that it's not going to watch itself. You know, I mean, I got a I got a lot of stuff going on. I mean, there's ball games that got to be watched. You know, I mean, listen, church. Listen, church. Listen. Listen to the wisdom of God. Listen to your neighbor who's crying out, I need you. I need someone to love me. I need someone to help me. Proverbs 28 and verse 8. Whoever multiplies his wealth by interest and profit gathers it for him who is generous to the poor. See, under the law, Israelites weren't allowed it was against the law to charge interest and make a profit off of interest you, you charge your brother on a loan. So if you loan your brother money, you don't charge him interest and make profit off of his back. You loan him money. When he pays you back, he pays you back. You don't charge him interest. And the writer of Proverbs here says, listen, if, if you do that, if you make profit off of your, and you're oppressing them, illegally oppressing them, taking advantage of them, then God will eventually take away everything gained like that and give it to somebody who will give it to the poor. You know, again, what, what the Proverbs are saying is God will make everything right. Amen? God will right everything. And what we're saying when we're generous to our neighbors is we believe that's true. We believe in the end how it will all shake out. How everything will come out in the end is God's going to make it right. There's a lot of people taking advantage of other people today, aren't there? Both in this country and around the world, there's people taking advantage of other people. Let us not be one of those people. Let us be the kind of people that open our ears, listen to people, love people, and care for each other. Because in the end, God's going God's to make sure everything is just and fair and that justice is served. And what we're saying when we're being generous is we're saying we believe that that's how it's all going to shake out in the end. We believe that in the short term, it may not make sense to be as generous as we're being, but in the long term, we know how everything's going to turn out.
we know, we know what God's going to do. Proverbs 28 and verse 27. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Again, in the short term, it's really easy to overlook things, isn't it? In the short term, it's really easy to overlook things. Or, or it's really easy to do something good and expect to be repaid in the short term. But we're not, we're not talking about something that's gonna, you're gonna get money back in your pocket. You give somebody five dollars and you're gonna get five dollars back. We're not talking about that. What we're talking about is the fact that generosity is evidence that you trust God. And that you know how everything's gonna come out in the end. You know that there's gonna be a Lord, a King, Jesus, the Messiah, who's gonna come and He's either gonna say to us, depart from me. I never knew you. You didn't take what I gave you and bless others with it. You hid it in the ground. And there's going to be others to whom he says, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with the things that I gave you. Come, share in your master's happiness. See, We need to be doing things. We need to be so generous that it only makes sense in light of Bible teaching. We we need to be doing things that only make sense in light of the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? The the people look at us and say, that's weird. Why are you giving away so much? Why are you being so generous? Why are you helping so many? I mean, come on, that's just absurd. It's good to be charitable, but that's just taking it a little, little far. You're being a little extreme. I think, I think we're really only being followers of Jesus if, if there are things in our life that only make sense because we believe this is the way things will come out in the end. Let's look at another passage. Proverbs 29 and verse 7 says this, A righteous man, a righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. See, we tend... Human beings, I don't just mean Americans, human beings, we tend to look out for our rights, right? We want to make sure that we're, we're getting what we deserve. We make sure that we're getting what, what, what should be coming our way. And that nothing that is coming our way isn't supposed to be coming our way. That we're getting everything that we should be getting. See, but the wisdom of God turns that on its head. And it says, it says stop. Start trusting God for your rights and start looking out for the rights of others. You see, what you need to do is consider others. Here's what Paul says in Philippians 2 is the mind of Jesus. The mind of Jesus, the mind of Christ is to consider others as more significant than yourselves and to look out for their rights. That's that's what Proverbs says righteousness looks like is to look out for the rights of the poor. See, everybody looks out for their own rights. But God's people, people that are shaped by the wisdom of God, look out for the rights of other people. And even and even put other people's rights and what's good for others above themselves. And consider their interests not just their own interests. This is what This is what financial wisdom looks like. Does it mean work hard? Absolutely work hard. 
Does it mean don't spend your money on frivolous things? Sure, absolutely. But it also looks like generosity. Wisdom teaches us. Here's four things wisdom teaches us. Wisdom teaches us that we are all, we're all neighbors. We're all neighbors. You're neighbors with the people you live next door to, the people downtown Dallas, the people in Mexico, and the people in South America, and the people in Africa, and the people in Asia, and the people in India, and the people wherever you can imagine. If there's a human being there, that person is your neighbor. Because we, we are just like the, the man who had this conversation with Jesus, right? About what's the most important. And Jesus says, you know, here's the two most important. Love God, love your neighbor. And then the question comes, yeah, but who's my neighbor, right? And he asked that because he was trying to justify himself. We do that so very often, don't we? It's like, yeah, well, I love my neighbor so long as you narrowly define neighbor, But scripture defines neighbor as widely as human beings live. We are all neighbors. Number two, we all share the same creator. Number three, we'll be punished for mistreating, oppressing, mocking, despising other people. And generosity, number four, generosity is a way to honor God and loan to him. See, if we really, if we really believe that this is the way the future will shake out, if we really believe that Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, then our generosity is evidence that that's what we believe. Our generosity is evidence that this is what we believe the future is headed towards. That when we share a cup of cold water, in the name of Jesus, that that's the very best investment we could possibly make. I don't know about other investments. I don't know anything about trading currency. I don't know anything about the stock market. I don't know anything about interest rates. I don't know anything about those things. But here's what I know. That generosity in the name of Christ is the wisest investment of all. Generosity, not just generosity for generosity's sake, But generosity in the name of Jesus Christ is the wisest investment of all. Everything else is sinking sand. Let's be the kind of people who build our house on the rock, who live out this good news of Jesus, who live out this wisdom. You see, because this is what Jesus has done for you. You are the recipient of Jesus being this kind of wisdom embodied because you were poor. You were poor and you were dead and you were homeless. But he gave everything. He committed everything. He sacrificed everything so that you could be reconciled to God and that through his poverty, you might become rich. And you have riches, both in your words and in your wallet and in your home and in your life and with your time. You have riches that you can share with other people. And if you really believe this stuff we call the good news of Jesus, that he's going to set everything right in the end, then let it be evidenced by our life, both individually and collectively. I think about some of the things that we do as a congregation, and I wonder, are we all involved with those things like we could be? 
I think about the Main Street congregation in Dallas and the work that they're doing with the homeless. And we've been going down there every quarter, I think, and I think soon we're going to start going down there more and there's going to be more announcements coming, but you could get involved in that. Our Thrive Ministry, taking food to people in East McKinney. We think about things like our South Texas and Mexico ministry. There's so many things that we can do individually and collectively that we can do good, not just to do good for good's sake, but to do good in the name of Jesus Christ because that, brothers and sisters, is the greatest investment of all. And maybe there's somebody here. I don't know where you are in your journey, but you're tired of going it alone and you're ready to be part of what Jesus is doing in the world, to be forgiven of your sins, but to be added to God's people that are going into the world as his soldiers, as his servants, as citizens of his kingdom, as members of his family. We're not perfect people, but forgiven people. And because we're forgiven and because we're loved by God, we want to love our neighbor as ourself. If you're not a part of this, if you've not been baptized into Jesus, or maybe you've just kind of been watching from the outside and you're ready to come in and be a part of what's going on, or maybe you just need prayers, we want to do anything we can for you. So won't you come forward now as we stand and sing the song?